All right, well, I've got quarter past, so welcome to probably the class I feel least comfortable teaching that I've taught in years, but I'm excited. Um, it's good to venture out into, um, I wouldn't say uncharted territory, honestly. We have five kids. My quintessential middle child is here to testify to uh, techniques and memories and all that sort of stuff. So you can pitch in, however godly. All right. I don't know that I got it, um, but um, I'm excited. Uh, this is uh, a BFL class on parenting, the early years. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, the, the joys, the challenges, aspects of that. But before we do, let's uh, open in prayer. Father, thank you for the joy that we have of walking with you. I thank you for the wisdom that flows to us so beautifully from the Scripture through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would please uh, sustain and strengthen each one of my brothers and sisters that are here, no matter where they're at in parenting. And I pray that we as a church um, would be able to, to gather around young families that are growing, even if we personally are, are much older or uh, single others, that we would realize that um, there's a significant uh, ministry going on right in our midst, uh, preparing the next generation for faithful service to Christ, and that we want to pray for that, we want to be involved. So no matter where we're at, Lord, just guide us. Pray that you would help me to say only those things that are true and helpful and beneficial, and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you got a handout. Um, so we're talking about uh, parenting the early years, and um, as we do, uh, I was thinking about uh, some of what it was like for us. Uh, our youngest child is 14. I'm going to talk more about that. That's Daphne. Um, and, but looking back, uh, I remember how, um, how overwhelming some of those years were, those early years can be. It's a very energetic time. And uh, when I was first a Christian, I came across a booklet that was written entitled The Tyranny of the Urgent. Uh, and, and this seemed to line up with this topic of parenting the early years. The Tyranny of the Urgent was written by Charles Hummel, and he made a distinction between urgent things and important things. And this is a, an important distinction for us as we're parenting little kids, uh, babies, infants. Um, whatever their need is, is overpoweringly urgent. Um, but we know that there are far more significant things going on, and it's very easy to get drawn into the day-to-day -day of parenting toddlers or infants and forget the big picture. So for me, what I desire is I want to be practical um, and to talk about practical things, and those things are going to be important uh, for all of you, and you're going to seek those questions out. You've got specific things that are going on, maybe physically with your child in terms of their development, in terms of their health. Um, and other aspects. Uh, scheduling is a big part. Uh, getting your child on a sleep schedule I know is like a top priority early on. I remember, I will never forget, um, I was working as an engineer, uh, had a regular job, and they didn't seem to care that we had a baby at home. Didn't matter to them. Uh, they expected me to be at work on Tuesday morning. And I remember some well-meaning, loving uh, friends gave us some lentil stew which um, Christy ate, and we were nursing, or she, sorry, <laughs> was nursing Nathaniel. And, uh, you know, there's a, there a kind of a bond between a mother and a nursing child that's even very physical. Anyway, it had to do with the lentil stew or whatever. It did not sit well with his little tummy. And I'll never forget that. He was miserable for hours and hours and hours, beginning somewhere around 1 in the morning. 
And so having absolutely no idea what to do, I remember putting him in the car seat and driving around the block for hours, which is absolutely not what he needed or certainly not what I needed. Let's speak for myself. It was not what I needed. As 10 a.m., 11 a.m. came along at the workplace and uh, I was not functioning well. Um, so at any rate, the point is that getting a child on an eating schedule, sleeping schedule, these things can be obviously very important. Um, and people, parents will want to know, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do the other? And you're going to seek that out, especially moms do that with uh, older mothers, um, you know, seeking out what's, you know, a Titus II woman to say, hey, help me out, give me uh, wisdom on these things. So I feel the need as I, as I know that there's that pressure toward urgent things and answering practical questions to give some obvious disclaimers. So first of all, look at me, I'm not a mom, okay? I'm a dad. So right away, I'm disqualified from a lot of stuff. Um, I feel that way anyway. I, I know you ladies are gracious. You're like, no, no, you're not. I mean, it's like, but honestly, I did much smaller percentage of the day-to-day -day parenting than Christy did. Um, when I told her I was teaching this class, she was ready to help me in ways I can't even describe. Um, picture fire hydrant. Uh, picture like <laughs> taking the, the lid off. And I'm like, well, you know, trying to get at the stream of, of advice, concepts, whatever. So if I can just say the primary resource I would commend from my family is my wife. So just talk to her. She will give you all kinds of things. And she gave me a lot as well. I also know that ladies, just women, speak different language to each other. They speak uh, in ways that communicate very efficiently and well, and I understand that. And you know what you're looking for, and you can talk, and men just talk differently. Um, and as I just said a moment ago, our kids are almost grown. Um, Daphne's 14. And so um, I don't have a lot of memory, or maybe I've erased bad memories. I don't know what's happened. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what it was like. Like, let me just tell you, one of my, one of my sweetest moments in the last three or four years was taking a reciprocating saw to our car top carrier all right now some of you are like uh what is a car top carrier well some of you will know that what that is car top carrier is what you need when you go on vacation with little kids because you have so much big equipment like a stroller's huge i mean they're trying to make it small but it's huge and then you got a uh, pack and play um and like three or four of those pieces of equipment take up your trunk and if you're going to bring any clothes or anything else on vacation, so you're going to have, if you have the vehicle we had, you need a car top carrier. Well, the thing, I mean, it flew open on a highway once. Uh, we have all kinds of car top carrier memories. And it was absolutely not resellable. We'd used it for years. It had no value except to us. And we were done with it. We, we were done. We, we had ample room to take the two kids we were taking on vacation as we moved steadily toward being empty nesters. And so it was just taking a huge amount of space in our crawl space, and I'm like, it's time to go. But the, the dump wouldn't take it as is, so I was like, reciprocating saw. Anyway, I digress. Um, parenting the early years is hard, it's physical, it's exhausting. Uh, little ones are obviously very immature, um, and they approach life, obviously, from an immature perspective. Uh, little ones are, like you, fanatically committed to self-interest. And by the way, the like you part is going to be important in my teaching. You know, let me just lay my cards on the table. One of the reasons that God brings little ones into our lives is because we're not done being saved ourselves. We are on a sanctification journey. And being, for me, being a father through the whole journey has been one of the most sanctifying things I've ever been through. 
And by sanctifying, I mean, no, it's been so sweet to get to such a level of maturity. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is realizing how much I need grace, how much help I need, how in over my head I feel. That is all a very good thing because a lot of the essence of our salvation is being weaned off of self-reliance, being, being pulled toward prayer, having moments of really... Uh, not desperation, but feeling like, what are we going to do? And, and then the two of you coming together, holding hands, praying over something you have no control over. But anyway, on the issue of the flesh, which I've defined as fanatical commitment to self-interest, yes, the, the little ones come home ready to go on the flesh. They are fleshly, and they are committed to what they want, and they will express that to you at all hours. But what's amazing is your response shows how much you're that way too. And yet you're committed to your own self-interest. And so it's a, it's a change. But the problem is they're immature and they've not been trained to control that. I mean, we don't walk around evidently fanatically committed to self. We've learned to get along with others because we were parented, we were trained, et cetera. They have not received that training yet. That's your job. And so that's a challenge. Um, little ones are extremely energetic until they're not. <laughs> okay. So they, you know how they say the the light bulb burns brightest right before it burns out. So those last 45 minutes can be really unbelievably energetic and destructive. It's like it is super time for you to go to bed. Um, anyway, they are uh, little ones are occasionally overpoweringly destructive, sometimes creatively destructive. Um, I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell like tales out of school here. Am I allowed? Yeah, if it's not about you. All right, all right. So, like Jenny, Jenny was a genius at destruction. It, it was unbelievable. I'll never forget a jar of desitin. Do you guys know what, do you guys still use that? Desitin is a, it's not water soluble. That's the whole point. So it is really, really hard to get it off of a child that's covered herself from top to bottom with desitin. We, there was some left in the jar, but not a lot. And the worst part was I reacted. We, Christy and I reacted exactly the same way you guys are. We laughed, which guaranteed it's going to happen again. Oh, mom and dad like this. I liked it, you know, whatever. And it's like, oh, it was not funny the second time because we knew what it would take to scrape it off her without hurting her and all that. So, wow. Um, she would find little features of the wallpaper that were within finger reach and start working on it. And she was just, uh, we called it pick, pick fingers. She would just kind of go at it and at it like she was trying to escape from jail or something like that. It was like working on the wall. And, um, you know, you'd come after a nap in which there was supposed to be sleeping going on and instead there was destruction going on. So, you know, she was almost like one of those scary movies where some psycho has to be put in the middle of the room, you know, like up on some... <laughs> Please don't tell her I said all this. She's grown up beautifully. She's a lovely young lady. It's none of that's happening anymore. And, you know, little ones will expand. Even one of them will expand to take up whatever you have to give. You know, they will expand and expand and expand until, you know, um, they're not verbal or logical. I'd skip that one, but it's true. You can't reason with them. And frankly, one of the points that we would make is you're not supposed to reason with them always. It's You're going to find with the dimmer switch that parenting is as you're, moving more and more toward to from total dependence to total independence. And then the Christian part of that journey from unconverted to mature in Christ, in that continuum, that dimmer switch, you're going to move more and more to Isaiah 1, come now let us reason together, says the Lord. You're going to reason with your growing kids. You're going to explain why, because you want them to know why. But at the early, early age, that's not generally what you should even should do. You should tell them what to do. This is where we're going. This is what you're going to play with. This is what you're going to eat. 
this is what you're going to wear. And, um, you know, there's not, not a lot of words that go on to that. And then they're not yet converted to Christ. So, you know, we are dealing um, with unregenerate people, human beings that are unregenerate. And somewhere in there, God willing, they'll come to Christ, but you can't guarantee that. And that's the, that's the whole challenge here is that's the central desire that you have, but you can't make it happen. It's beyond you to make it happen. Only God can make that happen. So those are some, some reasons why it's challenging. And as a result, then, it's easy to zero in on practical issues and seek direct do's and don'ts, such as sleep schedules, feeding schedules, well baby checkups, teething, crying, um, diapers, and then potty, potty uh, training, which my wife told me last night she enjoyed. Did you hear her say that? Like, what in the world? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I, uh, I don't remember the details, but, you know, um, she enjoyed that. She, it was a sweet time. Um, so, and then with toddlers, speech development, walking, basic issues of obedience. You know, it's a concern about, is my child on schedule? You know, they're a little late at this, or, you know, is that okay? And, and just so many insecurities. And it's amazing how that begins, even while they're still in the womb. You know, you might have some indications, there might be some difficulty, but you don't know and all that. And it's just welcome to potential anxiety that comes with being a parent. And it just never ends. And I've been told by parents much further along than we are, much well into emptiness, it still doesn't end. Extends then to your grandkids and even your great-grandkids. So there's always reasons for prayer, really, and trusting God. And so there's all these uh, physical things, uh, practical aspects, submission to parental authority, cleanliness, manners, work, play, rest, learning, safety, eating, safety. I actually went around within the last year and took out the last of the plug covers in our home. I'm like, why are these here? Daphne knows not to stick her finger in an outlet. But now we're about to welcome our first grandchild. So that's pretty exciting. So within two weeks, we will have uh, a baby again. So guess what's going to happen to the outlets? So she's going to ask me, Chrissy's going to ask me, what happened to all our outlet covers? You know, I'm like, well, I got rid of them. So anyway, so it's very, very practical, zero in on practical things. So in order to kind of re-up, I, I had, uh, I think, from the Holy Spirit, some wisdom to say, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I went online, and I, I put in Google, parenting, Christian, toddler. Those three words. Unbelievable the amount of stuff that came out. Blogs upon blogs, you know. And uh, I found one, and, and you've got some text in here, and I don't know why I put so much in my outline here. Uh, and I'm not vetting, I didn't vet it, but I just read it and, and I just said, yeah, okay, now I remember. It was like a time capsule. You know how you, you picture a time, I've never opened a time capsule. You unscrew it and a kind of an aroma comes out and then some documents and some artifacts and all that. And it's like, oh yeah, now I can remember just what it was like. The article was entitled Parenting Toddlers Without Losing Your Mind. I was like, oh, that's an interesting title. It's like, oh yeah, now I remember why. And so she just writes of what, what you know, what it's like, what your body looks like, what your kitchen looks like, what your schedule's like, you know, just the joy of being able to slip off and go to the bathroom and wonder what level of destruction happened just for the, you know, the, the, the minute that you were in there. And so she just writes some do's and don'ts, and you can read them. I, I didn't vet them, but just the practicalities of it, like, uh, I like some of this. Don't take it personally. Um, you know how Moses and Aaron said, you're not rebelling against us, it's the Lord you're rebelling against. You remember how they said that? Who are we that you should speak against us? Parents would be good to remember that. You know, it's very easy to take it personally. Why are you doing this to me? It's like, well, you're not the point. You, all, you do represent God's authority. But they're really rebelling because they're sinners. 
Uh, don't always hover. Let them fall. Let them scra you know, scrape their knees. Let them do certain things. Just different practical advice. I love this. Don't explain everything. I just said that again. Don't, you, know, you just do a lot of stuff without explanation. The hard part on the dimmer switch, and by dimmer switch I mean little by little by little by little you're, you're changing your parenting approach because they're maturing. And so you're going to do different things. And, and it's, it's hard to know how rapidly to pay that out because it's different with each child. And, um, and it's also different between the parents. You know, I would have maybe paid it out a little faster. Uh, Christy, maybe a little slower. Um, you know, I remember key moments like we don't need the baby monitor anymore, well beyond the SIDS range, uh, time to unplug that thing. But I remember how long it continued to run. And, and some of it is just people have preferences. Um, but with that dimmer switch, little by little, you're gonna be explaining more and more things and you're going to be offering more and more choices. And it's hard to know. One of the key verses for me as a father, it says, you know, our fathers disciplined us for a short time as they thought best. Welcome to being a dad. You're going to do what you think best. And you're, you know, the, you moms are going to do what you think best. And it's like, that's right in the scripture, you know, but God disciplines us for our good. So you really like contrast it with what God does and what he does is best. But what you do is what you think is best. And, and there's just a lower level of certainty. So don't offer choices. Don't let the media dictate your child's behavior. A lot of the things that Christy talked to me about is how important it is to realize some of the threats to our preteens and teens come from media use and you know the internet, social, uh, social media, all of that, and how important it is to be actively involved. But I just did a class about two years ago on parenting teens. Uh, and yet, even though we're talking about toddlers and all that, just to have one of, one of my main ideas today is just there are going to be certain themes and approaches and, and, and f flavors to your parenting that are going to get established right from the start. It's not like suddenly now that they're 10, we're going to do something entirely different. That will make no sense to them, and it's just not how you do it. So a lot of things need to get put in place, and part of that is how are we as a family? going to be interacting with the corrupt world that we live in? And how are we going to control our kids' interactions with that world, so that they would not love the world or anything in the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life? How can we protect our little ones from that while still preparing them for life in the world? Because Jesus said, I'm not taking you out of the world. You know, he prayed in John 17, I, I ask not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So for us to know how to protect our kids, it's not easy to know. So, you know, so those are don'ts, uh, do's of parenting. Make time in God's word, your priorities. It's very practical. Be sure you get your quiet time. I know it's hard because you're tired. Go to bed later than you want to, get up earlier than you want to. Maybe you got up in the middle of the night and didn't want to, but you're tired. But you do find, for the most part, time to get enough nourishment physically. I mean, you, you find time to eat. And um, so you just need to put getting time in God's word as every bit as important as eating and sleeping for you some ways more important. Um, the Titus 2 woman, if you don't know that text, I'm sure many of you do, but um, you know, older women are to instruct younger, younger women in what it means to be uh, a homemaker, to be a godly mother, a godly wife. And there's just so many things that an older woman can do for a younger woman. Um, and what this woman who wrote this uh, you know, said is find somebody who is recently doing these things, not like somebody who's like out, been out of it for 20 years and yet here I am a man and you know it's been a long time so anyway so it is uh, but just find somebody who can 
can do uh, can help you with that. Uh, find grace, the graciousness of God. Make a schedule. I would say one thing that I've found very challenging about Christian parenting, and that is the the mysterious combination that there must be of old covenant and new covenant themes in parenting. So, like the essence of the old covenant is blessings and curses based on obedience or disobedience, right? I mean, you enter the promised land. You'll be blessed if you obey. Here's the list of blessings. I mean, I stood on one mountain and pronounced the blessings and another mountain pronounced the curse. We get it. All right. So if we obey, good things happen. If we disobey, bad things happen. We actually had a laminated sheet called the if-then chart. The ifs were a bunch of sins and the then were a bunch of consequences. And so you've got if this, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. So that, there's just that old covenant aspect. And what I'm saying is it must be there. You can't just say we're, we're beyond the law now. What, what, that, what does that mean? You have no standards in your home, no rules. There's, you know, it's like what Australian out, outback, no rules, just right. It's like that does not work even at the Australian outback. If I went into their kitchen said, and said, can I grab a few of these steaks and take them home? It's like, no. It's like, well, I thought you said no rules. It's like, it doesn't work anywhere. So certainly there have to be rules, there has to be laws, there have to be consequences. But there's also the new covenant aspect of salvation by grace through faith apart from works and the mercy of God and how God doesn't treat us our sins deserve and that his ocean of grace is greater than all of our sins and all that. How in a specific moment, at a specific point of action, when the child's done this or that, what are we doing right now? Are we doing Old Covenant or New Covenant? Are we doing a combination? What are we doing? And it's just hard. And so you're going to have to learn how to do that. Taught, uh, make a schedule. We talked about some of that. These practical things. And that's not really what the wheelhouse of this BFL class is. You're, you're already starting to figure some of that out. And there's different things that you uh, can learn, et cetera. So you can see all that. Practical wisdom, therefore, is important. Um, young parents do feel often like they're navigating in an uncharted waters in a fog with no compass and no, and no nautical training. It's like, wow, that's bad. Um, yes, that sounds really bad. My father, who is not a believer, um, I remember he said frequently that we did not come with a, uh, you know, a manual of instructions. It's like an, ex an excuse. It's like, well, I've come to realize that to some degree that's just not true. I really believe the Bible is sufficient for Christian parenting. Everything you need for life and godliness, not just your life and godliness, but your child's eternal life and godliness is in the Bible. And I want to commend that to you and just say, we, they did come, uh, for us as Christians, they did come with a, with a set of instructions. They did come with a manual. But uh, it takes a while to be able to find those things. Specific answers to practical questions can be like tonic. It can give you a pathway. Uh, especially helpful in the infant-toddler years when so much of the parenting seems physical and not very relational or spiritual at all. For me, I remember, like one of my, I was talking to Carolyn about this last night. We had some time together. It was pretty sweet. And um, she was, we were talking about parenting, my parenting in early years. And I remember walking, uh, pushing Nathaniel, our firstborn, in the little acrylic, the, black, the clear plastic uh, bassinet that they gave you at the hospital. We were in Be Beverly, Massachusetts. He was wrapped up in a blanket and looking down at his little face and feeling like I needed to say, and I did say, I love you to him, but I didn't feel anything. Like, who are you? <laughs> and now it's hard for me to even put into words the love I have for my five kids. I can't even put into words. I mean, my office is filled with photos, and I'd put more, more in there. I mean, I just need to print them out and put frames on them. 
it's everywhere. I'm extremely sentimental. I hold on to lots of like really low level art art forms, you know, that are not like awesome. But that my drawers are filled with them. I love this kind of stuff. And I and but to to say I love you to this unknown infant. Michael Carden, one of his lullabies, said, his face is familiar, though I've never seen it. You know, it's really an interesting way. It's like, you know, features, a nose, an ear, you know, there's a genetic connection. But there was no relational connection. But, so Carolyn's like, well, when did that really happen? I, I, I don't know, somewhere in there, but I remember somewhere around the five to six months when I'd come home from my engineering job and he would recognize me, there's no doubt about it, he'd reach for me, be happy to see me. And I was happy to see him, and I'd, we played together while Christy cooked dinner. So somewhere in there, and ever since then, um, you know, and, and before then too. But just such a, a love relationship. We, um, in, in the early stages, we got hold of a book called On Becoming Baby Wise um, by Gary and Anne-Marie Ezzo. And the Ezzos ran a ministry called uh, Growing Families International, which after that became pretty controversial. Um, it's very strong on what they call parent-directed uh, feeding and sleep schedules, et cetera. And how important it is the child know that the child's a welcome member of the home, but not the center of the home. So many of those themes were helpful, but individuals, you know, can take them too far. And so uh, I don't know whether I would commend it. I don't want to go in the back and forth about the Ezos or GFI or about on becoming baby wise, but just the value of a sleep schedule and eating schedule, different things, as opposed to child directed uh, feeding, child directed sleeping you know, three in the morning, cuddling them and playing with them if that's what they want. It's like, yeah, no, um, don't do that. But, um, but people can go too far. One of the problems I had with the Ezos that I, you know, I, I didn't think was incredibly helpful, and I don't know that they always did this, but the strong feeling I got was if we followed their patterns, we would not have teen rebellion. And it's like, well, how in the world can you promise that? You know, it almost seemed at that point like we've gotten away from Christianity and we're into pure behaviorism. And that if you follow these steps, you will definitely get, you know, a great outcome. And it just isn't that simple. But the book was helpful for us early on, and um, you're going to find similar things. So what I want to do then for you in this BFL class is not so much all of that. Um, what I want to do is give you overarching biblical theological themes that will help get your, your, your mind and your focus out of like six inches, three inches away and see the big picture of how glorious and magnificent and wonderful Christian parenting really is. What an incredible privilege it is that you would be so filled with hope, which is right in the center of my ministry in general. I want all of you to be filled with hope in every area, but in this really important area of Christian parenting. And, and what is hope but a feeling, uh, a sense in your heart that the future is bright based on the promises of God? You're looking forward to the future. The opposite is so devastating, hopelessness. You're not looking forward to the future. It's bleak, it's dark, it's depressing. That's what depression is, it's being without hope. And for us as Christians, we should absolutely have a sense that the future is bright, where we're going is worth getting to, that God will be gracious. It does not mean painless, I'm not saying that, just that in everything God will be glorified and we're going to a glorious, radiant, beautiful heaven and parenting, Christian parenting is a big part of that. So I want to give you a sense of that. So let's talk about some major themes, big picture themes. I'm going to stop now and see if you have any questions to which I can say, I don't know, um, and then give a kind of an answer. But any questions up to this point? Even practical questions, I don't know. 
Well, uh, we use different Bibles at different, I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily call some of the stuff we use at the very early stage a Bible, but they have Bible stories in them. And uh, there's some, I can still picture the artwork, where you never saw the face of Jesus, like you'd see his hands, or you'd see him from the back, or something like that. It was really interesting. And they had some of those basic stories. We had like five of them. Andy, do we sell those down there? There's big picture books about that big, and you open it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so pictures, big pictures, and then stories, feeding the 5,000, you know, walking on water, different stories. And there were like four of them, some Old Testament stories as well. Um, selected for, you know, the minds of little ones. And then as they get older, you have a little more. And I remember one Bible that we like to use with our, our, our daily devotions was 100 Bible stories, like 50 from the Old Testament, 50 from the New. And it was literally the NIV 84 text with a really good art picture on the other side. So it was like not cartoonish. It was almost like a, a high-level painting that had been of the, the story being read. So you're getting actual scripture. You're reading the actual biblical account, and there was a picture. So that would be more for age six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. So it's like the dimmer switch. Little by little, you have different Bibles that you would use. So that's good until eventually they're just using the same Bible that you have. Great. Any other? Those are great. That's a great question. I could answer that one. Uh, any others? All right. Well, let's dig in and let's look at, look at some of these big themes. And the, uh, this, the central theme of every question, the central motivation, the central ethic of everything in the Christian life is the glory of God. And this is so vital for us to, to know. This is the, as Jonathan Edwards wrote, the end for which God created the world. You know, and I remember uh, this, this powerful question, why did God make the world? And Carolyn last night reminded me of the catechism that we used to use. We had a, a catechism based on the Westminster Confession, but it was turned Baptistic. It was made a Baptistic version of it. And you would just catechize these kids. So it was, it was memorized questions and answers. And it began with, who made you? Answer, this is easy. God did. You know, what else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. So question number three, we're right there. Um, and it's the, you know, the, you know, the endless chain of questions that kids ask once they start asking questions about things. And they just keep saying why, and they keep saying why. And so there's like this chain that gets higher and higher to more and more broader and broader significance. You know, um, you know why, why does the bird fly? Because God made it to fly. Why did he make it fly? You know, it's a, it's so they'll just go right up the chain, and you're going to end up in every series of questions, ultimately to this one thing, for his own glory. Well, what does that even mean? How would you define that? How would you define the glory of God? It's like you've heard about it, right? So how would you define it? What is the glory of God? Yeah, I mean, God made the universe for his own pleasure. We could say that. It brought him pleasure. So, yeah, I, I think uh, when I think about the glory of God, there are certain verses that come in. One of them is like the night Jesus was born and the angel of the Lord came and it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. So in that sense, glory is light. It's visible light. Like remember when Moses spent time with God in the mountain and his face was shining. Or we're told that the new Jerusalem doesn't need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun to shine on it, for the Lord God gives it light, the glory of God. 
So there is a visible light aspect, a shining aspect. But then we're also told that Jesus glorified God by dying on the cross. He would, he would bring God glory. So there's a mental theological aspect. So this is how I put it all together. The glory of God is the radiant display of the attributes of God. It's the radiant display of the attributes. And what are attributes? They are descriptions such as God is love or loving, God is merciful, God is powerful or all-powerful, etc. All those attributes. So God's glory is putting those things on display. And so God made the universe to put himself on display before an audience who could appreciate it. So in order to then put his greatness, his majesty, his power on display, he needed to create angels and humans who could see it and appreciate it and worship him for it. Again, we should not imagine he did this because he was needy or lonely or lacking or needed his ego boosted. None of the above. He did it out of pure generosity. He wanted to share himself with us. And so he is a full being, complete, filled with joy, filled with light, filled with power. And he creates angels and humans to share himself. And then he creates things like the sun, the moon, the stars, and various kinds of animals to show aspects of his wisdom. Like you remember what he says to Job. Have you considered the ostrich? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, well, how does the ostrich glorify God? Well, that's a very good question. It's a biblical question, and we can come up with an answer, but it does. The ostrich glorifies God. And so, therefore, the question you should be asking every day is, why has God given me this little one? Why has God given me this daughter or this son? And the answer must be for his own glory. God wants to show himself to you. He wants to display himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you and to him or her and through your family to other people who are watching and out to the ends of the earth. There's a display going on here. And not only that, this is pretty awesome. Human beings are, by the will of God, eternal beings. And so it's not just for a little while, but God wants to glorify himself in and to and through your child for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? And you actually have a very significant role. God made all things for his own pleasure, for his own glory. Someone read uh, Romans eleven thirty six 36 for us on, on the handout. That's amazing, isn't it? So from him and through him and to him. Sometimes I like to put an extra word in there. I don't know if it's accurate, but I think it is. I sense it is. So try this. For from him and through him and back to him. Like, like there's this big circle, like a boomerang or something like that. It goes out, it comes back. Everything goes back to God. Everything goes back to God. So what that means is we go back to God. He made us. We go out on a journey. We go out and do some things. And when we die, when everything's done, we go back to him and give him an account. We go back to him, etc. There's a, a big kind of back to God. And what that means is the same is true of your child. Your child is from God continues to exist because of God and will go back to God. And by the way, if I can say this now when there's no specific situation as far as I know, even if some terrible tragedy, the thing you fear the most physically in this world should happen to your child, namely the death of a child, which is the burial of a child may be one of the saddest things that happens on planet Earth. Very sad. I understand that. But here's the thing. 
you need to really believe with all your heart as a Christian that this child is more God's than it is yours. It belongs to God more than it belongs to you. He has a higher claim on the child than you do. So you should never claim God within or charge God with injustice in reference to whatever he chooses to do providentially with your child. Does that make sense? So just I want to put that in your place. Do not blame God if God calls your child home early. Um, now is a better time. You know, if it were happen, I'll just sit next to you and cry with you and pray with you. And a year later, we'll talk some more about this exact same theme. At that point, I'll just want to cry with you. And it's going to be hard, and I don't deny that. But all I'm saying is there's no injustice with God in that matter. God is, has called you to be a steward of something that really belongs to him. So just keep that in mind. He has the right to command you about how you should raise your daughter or son. He has that right. He has the right to ask you how, how it's going, to hold you accountable. They belong to God. And it's just such a helpful and a freeing thing, isn't it, to know that, and they belong to God. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In other words, your child was created by him and for him. It's beautiful. And just to be able to get that across to your son or daughter, you were created by God and you were created for God, for God's pleasure, for God's glory, for God to do what he wants with you, to command you, to send you where he wants to send you, etc. Beautiful. Hebrews 2.10, and bringing many sons to glory is fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, etc., etc. So that's just a statement about God. You know, for whom everything exists and through whom everything exists. And then Proverbs 16.4, the Lord hath made all things for himself. All right, humanity then especially uh, created to display God's glory. Uh, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, <clears throat> whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you find it interesting that Jesus calls people son or daughter that he interacts with? Do you find that interesting? He never married. He was 31 years old, maybe, or 32. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What do you, what do, you do you find that interesting? I find it interesting. He's a young man. But he's not as young as you think. John said, he who comes after me is above me because he actually was before me. He is actually the Ancient of Days. And when he appears in Revelation 1, his head and hair are white like wool, as white as snow. It's hard, it's hard to think that way. So Jesus actually, when he says sons and daughters, but this is God speaking about human beings. We are created for God's glory. And not only are we created to display God's glory, we are created to study and learn and appreciate and know God's glory. Think about that. Someone read this, Habakkuk 2.14. What a great verse. Isn't that powerful? Now you partner that together with Isaiah 6, which says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory already. The word already is not in the text, but it's already full of his glory. The problem is that it's not filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's because of idolatry. People are corrupt in Adam. We are wicked and sinful, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We don't know him as we should, but someday the redeemed will. And we're going to spend eternity in the new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, studying God's glory, learning God's glory. For all eternity, you're going to be learning God's glory. That's the book I'm writing on heaven. That's what it's about. You will never be omniscient. What that means is heaven's an exciting place. You'll be learning something new every single heavenly day, and it's going to be pretty awesome. 
And so to be able to, to learn and study. So your little one, your, your beautiful son or daughter, the best thing that they can do is to know the glory of God, to just see God's glory in creation, to see God's glory in, in Christ and the gospel. And, and that's the best thing that can possibly happen. So we are also redeemed for the praise of God's glory. Someone read this for us, Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. All right, so I would say this, the most, the, the greatest display of the glory of God is the salvation of sinners by the blood of Christ. There is nothing that, has, that God has ever done that displays his glory more than human beings, radiant, shining with the glory of God in heaven, redeemed by the blood of Christ. It is the most glorious thing there is. And so we are saved uh, for, that, for that display. And so you think about parenting, Christian parenting, in light of that, the greatest thing that can ever happen to your little one is that he or she would come to faith in Christ and spend eternity seeing God's glory and being also God's glory, both shining like the sun in the kingdom of your father and also seeing other people who are shining like the sun and appreciating that and seeing the new Jerusalem shining like the sun and appreciating that. So both seeing and being God's glory, that what could be better than that? And that you actually get to play a role in that. You actually get to be the evangelist and the discipler at the early stage. How awesome is that? It's incredible. What a privilege. All right, so that brings us quickly to God's vision for parenting. Let's start with procreation. Procreation. God created a man from the dust of the earth, and he formed the woman from the rib of the man, and he brought them together. And uh, he said, there, let, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and uh, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So procreation is that God had in mind a multitude greater than anyone could count standing before the throne in white robes, waving palm branches and saying salvation belongs to our God. Well, none of those people existed at that point when there was just Adam and Eve. None of them. And it would be through one man, God made all the nations of people. Every nation came from one man, Adam. And out of that vast sea of humanity, God has chosen some, called the elect biblically, to be redeemed and it's a multitude so huge you can't number it. Smaller, small percentage, that's reality. Many are called, but few are chosen. And many enter through the broad gate to destruction, but only a few find the narrow road that leads to life. Many and few, so proportionally small. But, if I could just say this, an overwhelming majority of them were brought to faith in Christ by at least one, if not two, believing parents, or at least the foundations were laid there. Huge percentage. Talked to uh, a guy at the IMB, Zane Pratt, who's a good friend of mine. He would estimate worldwide as high as 80%. As high as 80%. Might be as low as 60%, but somewhere between 60 and 80%, we don't really know, of people who are genuinely walking with the Lord had at least one parent that also genuinely walked with the Lord and influenced them and shared the gospel with them from an early age very high percentage. Now, I would be in the 20%, you know, um, so it's not universal. But just when the gospel comes to an unreached people group, within three or four generations, 
You look at the percentage of people that are walking with the Lord in that people group. Again, it's going to stabilize to somewhere around two-thirds or three-quarters, something like that. It's just amazing. And it's powerful. It's, it's God's normal way. And so we have a covenant vision uh, that God had for redemption. He has a plan. He's working that through. Someone read for us Genesis 18, if you would. So do you see that grand, glorious plan? And uh, it says, I have chosen him so that, look at this, he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So let me just ask you, just what does the word direct mean to you there in that verse? Abraham was chosen so that he would direct his family and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. What does the word direct mean to you? Lead them. He's going to lead his family. Okay, I like it. Anyone else on direct? Influence. Influence. We're going to point. Okay. Um, is there a teach? Okay. What about command? Do you think that would be related to the word direct? I'm directing you to do the following things. I would think that there's a commanding aspect. So you get Joshua that says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So what does that mean to you? When, when Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What does that mean to you? What's that? No options. No options. So you're not practicing religious freedom in the Zweigel home? No, really not. <laughs> if you want to be a Buddhist, fine. You want to be an atheist, and that's not okay. We're going to go to church. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to study Jesus. We're going to follow Christ. We're not going to blaspheme. We're not going to sin. We're not going to be wicked. We're going to fight sin. We're going to be a Christian home. And I'm going to direct my children to that end. Now, I know that at some point they can rebel. And they do rebel. And it's heartbreaking when they rebel. And we have good friends in this church whose grown children are not walking with the Lord. They're openly rebelling against Him. We understand that. But what I do, I point, and it's hard because, let me tell you something, as a father, you can readily see the flaws of your fathering. Or as a mother, you can see ways you messed up. We all sin in many ways, and parenting is so complex. Any good chance you're going to sin in there somewhere. <clears throat> any good, good chance there might be even habitual and patterns of sin that are going to be really, really detrimental to them walking with the Lord. Yes, that's what sanctification is all about. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. And then when you see your kids as grown, grown kids rebelling, and they're rebelling in certain patterns that you can trace back to your own sins, it's even worse. But... What I do is I like to point them to Isaiah 1 and verse 2, which says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. That's God speaking as a father of children. Now, we're not God. We cannot say, like he does in Isaiah 5, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I did for it. We're not able to say, nothing, you did perfectly, you are a perfect set of parents. We're not going to be able to say that. However, it's not true that because we sinned in this and this and this way, therefore, that's why they rebelled. They rebelled because they rebelled against Almighty God and against the gospel. And let me say a scary thing, but it's worth saying. There is no worse place on in, in history or on earth to go to hell from than from a good, healthy Christian family. Because I believe that punishment on Judgment Day is proportional to knowledge of the truth. And the more truth you knew and you turned your back on it, that's why Jesus said it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. 
Why? Because I was here doing miracles, you saw and you rejected. And therefore, it would be better to have been in Tyre and Sidon, better in Sodom and Gomorrah than here in Capernaum. What that teaches me is there's gradations of punishment, and it has to do with proportion of biblical knowledge that you turned your back on. So it was Charles Spurgeon's mother that said he heard, he heard her praying and said, Lord, I have done what I can to share the gospel with them and to live the gospel out in front of them. And if they rebel and turn away from you, I myself will bear swift witness against them on Judgment Day. Whoa! And here's like preteen or 13-year-old Charles Spurgeon not wanting his mother to bear swift witness against himself on Judgment Day. It's a strong inducement to come to faith in Christ. So the fact of the matter is, you know, we are to direct our families to follow the way of the Lord. We're to direct them to walk in the ways of the Lord. And godly parenting is essential. Look what he says at the end. So that the Lord will bring about what he has promised. So there's a cause and effect that godly covenantal parenting, new covenant parenting, is essential to bring about what God has promised. It's a big part of it. Therefore, it's good for us to have a multi-generational vision. It's good for me to have a multi-generational vision. Jenny and Stephen gave me a book on godly grandparenting. So I'm like, thank you, I'll read it. <laughs> Do what I can. So I've heard good things. I've heard good things. I'm looking forward to those intensely practical moments, giving them back, you know, when they're crying or they need a change or whatever. Uh, if they, um, you know... Uh, like someone said, sugar them up and give them back, you know, something like that. I, I don't know that I'm going to do all that. But, you know, obviously the parents from time to time will go away for a weekend and we'll get the whole thing, you know, at that point. We'll get all of the experience. I'm excited, though. I'm looking forward to it. I've heard so many good things. But, you know, it's really important that we then influence our grown kids who are walking with the Lord. All five of our kids are, by God's grace, walking with Him. And it's remarkable. But now we have the chance to influence Stephen and Jenny to do a good job parenting their child. And we want to do that. So there's a multi-generational vision. Deuteronomy 6, it says, <clears throat> In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. That's an amazing statement. Now we know that the Passover regulation, all that was meant to be multi-generational. Like, like in the future when your son asks you, that's like in the future when your great-grandson asks, asks your, your grandson. This is going to go on for multi-generations, this questioning of sons asking, tell, tell me the story. Or again, Psalm 78. Uh, it says, What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. He has decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and that they in turn would tell their children. I don't know how many generations are in here, but a lot. We're down to like great-grandchildren or something. That then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Now that's over against Hezekiah's lamentable short-sightedness. You remember when the Babylonian envoys came and he showed them 
everything in his treasure, treasuries and his armories and all that. It was just really foolish. Keep in mind, Babylon and Judah would have been allies against the Assyrians at that point. Babylon wasn't evil yet. They would have, they're both like vassal states of the mighty Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians lost 185,000 troops outside the walls of Hezekiah's capital city. And then Hezekiah himself became sick and then was miraculously healed. So he had an amazing reputation. These Babylonian envoys wanted to meet this great man. And he was just so full of arrogance and pomp and pride that he showed everything, that all of his wealth. And you can imagine, well imagine, Babylonians like, huh, huh, hey, you've got a lot of gold, don't you? A lot of silver. There's a lot of interesting stuff here in Judah. Where's this? Right, Judah, Jerusalem. All right, got it. And then they leave. And Isaiah comes. Yeah, when Isaiah comes, and you didn't ask him to come, he's coming to see you. That's a scary moment. And he said, who were these people? He said, well, they, they came from a distant land, from Babylon. What did they see? Well, they saw everything. And then Isaiah said, hear now the word of the Lord. Wow. In the future, you're own children who will be born to you. The time, we can read it, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your own descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Well, here's the thing. I don't know how many Christian parents have such a callous attitude toward the future generations. I think very few would articulate, I don't really care what happens to my grandkids or great-grandkids. As long as my life is fruitful and successful, that's all that matters to me. But the question is not so much what you're saying, but how you're living. And do you have, in fact, a multi-generational vision? Do you actually, are you praying toward and thinking about future generations and influencing them and leaving a legacy? So let's stop there. We're going to pick up, we're going to talk about the themes that I have laid out here. If you could bring uh, this handout with you, I probably will expand it some because if you look at the last page, uh, I'm going to talk about the primary, secondary, and third goals. We'll talk about all that. Primary goal, just in case you didn't know, the glory of God in your children being justified. The glory of God in your children being forgiven of their sins, coming to faith in Jesus. That's the central primary goal of parenting. The secondary is that they would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, having walked in the pattern of sanctification and being made ready to be useful. That's the, the second, third goal. We'll talk about that. Now, some overarching themes. I'm going to take one or two minutes and then we'll get out a, a two or three minutes early because I know we need to get to... Uh, but these are some convictions and themes and patterns that I would urge you to establish. I'm going to read them and we'll unfold them over the subsequent weeks. Husbands and wives must work together in their God-given roles. So God's given husbands' roles and wives' roles. He's given dads' roles and, mo and, and moms' roles. You need to work together. Uh, pray together, work together. Secondly, parents must lead, children must follow. Parents must command, children must obey. So just, it's, you really have to teach parents this because parents seem sheepish to use their God-given right to command. Don't be. The children need you to command. They need you to command well. They need you to command rightly, but they do need you to command, and they need to learn to obey. Children are a blessed gift from the Lord, so enjoy these years. It's just a sweet blessing he gives us to be able to do this. I could easily start crying right now because of thoughts of my kids. Carolyn knows it's true. I, I cried last night a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, just it's just such a journey, and it's hard. 
it's really a hard journey. And then it's, and, and if they end up landing on their feet, it's pretty sweet. Um, so it's, it's, but it's jo- a joy. Uh, children are a stewardship from the Lord. They are infinitely more his than yours. I've made this point, but just understand they don't belong to you ultimately. Everything belongs to him. And so just know you're a steward, you're accountable to him. Parenting is the most effective evangelism of the world. We talked about that. So when should you be evangelizing your child? The moment, I, I think it can be done in the womb. There's no proof that it's effective. I have no way of knowing for certain. But I sang, Jesus loves me, this I know to Nathaniel while he was still in the womb. I mean, but the idea is you just don't wait. You don't say, by the time they get to five, I'm going to start kicking in with the gospel. No. I mean, prelingual gospel. Jesus died for your sins. All right. Um, children have, a tender, have tender hearts without a history, his, history of sin. One of the beautiful things is unless they're converted and become like children, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. But they're already children. That's awesome. So adults have to be broken down with the law, beaten with the law, convicted and worked over with the law so that they can become like little children and know they need a Savior. But children are already there, and there's a tremendous advantage. It's awesome. So they have tender hearts without a history of sin. They grow quickly like a dimmer switch. Dimmer switch is huge. It's important. What that means is you're just going to be changing, changing, changing your parenting strategy. Not your overall themes, but what you do, how you handle things as it goes. But there needs to be consistency, too. We'll talk about that. Time is very short. Very short, says a 57-year-old guy. I'm just telling you, it is. It flies by. But don't panic. God's given you enough time to do what you need to do. Establish spiritual patterns in your family. We've talked a little about physical patterns. Great, fine, you'll do that. But establish spiritual parents, uh, patterns, especially the family altar. So that's a time where the dad leads out, reading the word and praying with everyone there. Just do that. Uh, teach them to obey you all the way, right away with a happy spirit. I think that's a good slogan, a good uh, definition of obedience. And then establish discipline patterns that develop as they grow. So you're going to be disciplining. You're going to define the rod mentioned in the book of Proverbs in lots of different ways. And the rod itself will change, um, but we do need to discipline our children. We'll talk about all that. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.